Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hi, my name is Amandi Poor. I'm the CEO and founder of Black Dot, a social media mobile application. I welcome you all to the Inspiring Leadership Series. It's my pleasure to hand it over to our host, Jonathan Bowman Burks. Thank you very much indeed, Amadeep. And it was Brian J. Esposito who very kindly uh, spoke very highly of you as an inspiring leader and an entrepreneur, but also I I've become good friends with him. In fact, we have a I think we have a coaching session coming up next week, he and I, oh. and I'm looking, looking forward to that very much. He's a very special guy. But uh, whereabouts are you now physically? Are you in New York or somewhere else? I'm currently in New York right now. Yeah, fantastic. Well, look, thank you for being on the series. And um, would you just perhaps tell us a bit, bit more about Black Dot, what you're doing right now? And, and then we'll go right back to your early childhood and what shaped you and the journey you've been on to make you the leader you are today. Definitely. Black Dot is a social media mobile application. I came up with this idea back in July 2019. My brother reached out to me and said, hey, I'm going to Iceland. Can you tell me all the places I should go to? And I found myself going on my social media and my emails, my notes, my photos, even credit card charges to figure out all the places that I had visited. And I said to myself, there has to be another way to, to kind of consolidate all this information because then I thought even further and said, wait, when I started planning this trip, I was on Google, I was on Yelp. When I was in Iceland, I'm on a Google Maps or Uber. I'm doing all these things on about five to six different apps. Let me create one that kind of consolidates everything together. So Black Dot was uh, born, let's say, uh, in October of 2020, it's about a year now since it's launched. And what Black Dot does is it's a social media mobile application. Like I said, you create content in the form of a photo or video, which everyone's heard stories, and you post them with tacking a location. The unique part of it is when you tap on that location detail screen, it will typically have all the information that you would go to Google or Yelp to see reviews on and location details on. You can also navigate to Uber or Lyft or Google Maps directly from the app. And you can see all your friends who have been there. So let's say if you, Jonathan, have been there, I can see the stories you posted while you were there. Add that location to a favorite. Let's say if I wanna to go to that location at a different time. And I think that's really cool, right? Um, it eliminates the use of all the different apps. Now, another feature within the app is for you to search a location. So let's say if Jonathan, you typed in Iceland, you'll see that I've been there. You'll see that any of your friends or family have been there. You choose who you want. I happen to be your favorite friend now. So you'll see all the cool places that I've been to and it'll populate on the map. Fantastic, and, fantastic. Yeah. So, so I was just gonna say, how do you know that this is something that people really want? Have you had some good feedback that this is a really good app that people are going to go for? What, what kind of feedback have you got? Yeah, so I did. I've spoken to a lot of my friends prior to uh, deciding if I was going to do this. I've done a lot of research online, Googling, you know, how many apps do people typically go on when they're planning a trip or just 
feedback from users, which say that it's been really helpful for them. Yeah. And have you gone for seed funding and series A and B, or are you just at the moment funding it yourself um, and, and hoping that it will eventually pick up? Yeah, it's been self-funded. I've used all my savings, all my personal savings into the app. And, and I think that, you know, I'm happy that I did that. I haven't gotten to the point where I think I need funding, but I'm sure that's something that I'll be open to in the future. Yeah, well, the reason I asked this is a good friend of mine, Ian Pierce, who's um, staying with us at the moment. He's just launched, he's in Turkey at the moment, meeting various people because he's launched his app. Started three years ago and self-funded. He's put a lot of his own money into it, but it's now just really taking off. And it's, it's for people who've got, um, uh, they, they've had neurological problems, maybe a stroke or something like that. And it's called uh, Neuroproactive. And it helps these people connecting the specialists, the physios and things with the patients. And uh, it, it's, gone, it's gone really big. And uh, yeah, but it's been him on his own. So I understand that journey that you're going through and good luck with it. So, um, but this of course, wasn't your background. And, and we'll hear as you tell us a bit of your journey, this is quite different from what you've done before. So take us right back to the beginning. Where were you born? Who shaped you? Parents, that kind of stuff. Teachers, give us a bit of a flavor. Yeah, I was born in India. I came to the United States in New York when I was about one years old. I have uh, my both, both my parents still are alive and um, I have a siblings, my older sister and younger brother. I found that out of my siblings, I was always the odd one. I was always the one that, you know, asked questions, always wanted to do new things. I recall when I was about 11 years old, I said to my dad, dad, I want to go to work with you. And he's like, you're crazy. You're too young. And I kept pushing him. And eventually he asked his boss and graciously, he allowed me to, to work at his establishment. And I know I was too young at the time, but I think it was more out of like, let's, you know, let this girl have what she wants. I was taking orders on the phone. It was a restaurant and we were uh, takeout only restaurants. So I was taking orders on the phone and people were giving me orders that probably I didn't even know how to write at that time or like addresses. I didn't even know like Avenue of the Americas. I would hear something else. I'll write something else. They'd laugh at me because they, I heard something completely different and I was naive enough not to like really ask the questions. But I think that part of me is where the self-driven, really curious part began. Mm. I saw myself uh, within my teens, always looking for new jobs. I was actually a host of this local TV show. Um, I was probably like 15 years old and I was doing you know, similar things, introducing the show. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a fun experience. Throughout my years, I think when I got into my 20s, I found myself doing different businesses. I'm still part owner of a music industry in India. Um, I own a 7-Eleven franchise. I recently um, uh, dissolved a business as well related to car service. So I think I've explored a lot of different things all while I was actually working full time. So you had mentioned this is not my background. I actually studied criminal justice in college, and I am a criminal investigator for the United States government. And so this is completely different from what I've ever, you know, touched. But I think my experiences, the ups and downs of my life, I think now looking back, I've always wanted to do entrepreneurial um, things. And I think I just didn't know where I fitted. And I think right now where I stand, I, I find that like, I understand where I want to go. I think technology is where I, I'm obsessed with. I think that that's where my heart is right now. 
Yeah, well, it's it's the perfect time and there's enough good systems and technology to help you now. Whereas perhaps just like with the pandemic, thank goodness we've got things like platforms like Teams and Zoom and all the rest. Whereas if the pandemic had happened 10 years ago, I don't know whether people could have worked from home or would have been able to. So the timing is good. Um, so, so in your life, what, what have been the proudest moments and the darkest moments for you, Armadeep? And, and what have you learned from both those two experiences? I think my proudest moments have been that I've achieved every goal that I've set out. I'm the first in my entire bloodline to graduate from college. At that time, uh, being first generation in the United States, I think it was big. I, we didn't have anyone that had an educational background. I was the first to have like a government job or even a, a good job at that. Um, first to have businesses. I think all those things were pretty proud moments for me because tying that into the dark moments, I think I didn't have the support that being a female, being, um, I think, so outgoing and taking the risks. I came from a poor family. When we came here, our family was on food stamps, government help. And I've seen the part where my mom would only give us 25 cents each to go buy things or the ice cream truck would come by and we wouldn't be able to afford a dollar ice cream. We would just look at the kids. Like that was kind of what, you know, I remember my childhood being. And they're looking at me like, why are you spending all your money into things, you know? And some things haven't been successful. Some things have been really, you know, heartbreaking for me. And they see that and they say to me, why are you doing this? So I think not having their support for many reasons, I think has been some of the darkest places uh, for me. Yeah, and th those listening on the podcast um, and not watching the, your YouTube video, which I recommend they do watch, uh, will see an image of lots of doors behind you. And I sort of wonder whether that's uh, as one door closes, another one opens, that you're, you're not prepared to let, let it block you out. You're going to find a way through. I certainly pick that up as, as a theme for you. Um, looking back to when you were 16, I think you mentioned that you were doing the uh, at 16, you were a host of a TV show local TV show. What advice now from the experiences you've had of being an entrepreneur of many different little businesses that you've tried and now you've got your one-year-old uh, social media app that you're, you're uh, launching. Um, what advice would you give to the younger Amandeep about what you should do and what you shouldn't worry about? I think the advice I'd give myself is get out of your own head. I think we tend to have these little voices that tell us that we're not good enough or that this could be better, or we're just always worried about what people would think. I think the advice I'd give myself is exactly that. I think I've spent too much time worrying about what others would say or what others would think about what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, I think that's such good advice. And uh, it was something looking back, I wish I'd received that bit of advice from you when I was uh, 16. And I think, uh, What's that lovely saying that uh, if you worry what people think about you, you'd be surprised how little they do. They're, they're not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. And even if they make some comment, which is devastating, it's probably nothing to do with you. It's more their stuff. But at the time, we take everything so personally and we take everything so seriously, um, like rule number six. Um, what's rule number six? Rule number six is don't take yourself too damn seriously. Right. To, which, to, which the, to which the question is, what's, what are the other rules? There are no other rules. Just don't take yourself too damn seriously. Um, so we're going to go around the Inspiring Leadership Compass, which you've seen on the website where all the other 
um, almost 200 now uh, podcasts are, and I direct people to that, jonathanperks.com. Go and, go and listen to all the other podcasts, watch the YouTube videos, uh, read about the top tips and the reviews. But, but on there is the, the model of the Inspiring Leadership Compass, the research which has pointed out why leaders like you are so successful about what creates high-performing leaders. And the eight components that we've written the books about, my wife, Lee, and I, the first one is MQ, moral quotient. Um, and, and I was going to say, what are your sort of foundational values? If you were to say your top three foundational values that still today shape you, what are they? I would say honesty, transparency, and integrity. I really go off of those three um, foundations because I think everything else comes afterwards, but you as a person have to have like a strong foundation because as leaders, we are leading other people as leaders where we're, our goal is to shape our message to, to really be powerful. And I think if we're not really focusing on those three things, we're not successfully doing what we're set out to do. Yeah. And I'm so pleased to hear that as someone who's been a UK government criminal investigator without uh, naming names, because of course you can't. But what has shocked you about the way some people have behaved that you've had to investigate? What, what sort of things have come up that you go, that really is such a surprise and quite shocking, or am I not surprised? Anything you'd share from what you've learned in that, in that role? I shared that. I, I, I learned that I noticed people don't really care about other people, right? When they're doing the things that they do. I think it's all about them. And even if they're doing what they're doing, I think they could have achieved it with other, I guess, avenues, only if they just put their mind to it. Because I've noticed that these people aren't dumb, right? They're dumb to get caught, but they're not dumb in their ideas, only if they applied it better. I think they could have really achieved a lot more. Mm. Yeah, it, it is often the case that they're, they're quite wily and quite clever, but they just found the wrong route or fallen in with the wrong crowd and think that's the only way to get success. Or they see someone else has got it and they want some of that. So I'm going to take it from them rather than achieve it in their own right. Thank you for that. Yeah. And let's go on to the next one, which is PQ, which is meaning and purpose quotient. Um, why do you do what you do? Why have you done what you've done? What's your dharma? If I was to use a, a, a good word, um, what, what is your calling, your vocation? I'm glad you asked this question because in the current state that I'm in, I think I've given that a lot of thought, having done so many different businesses, being in the position that I'm at, I really want to start focusing on myself and what my purpose is because I have to narrow things down at some point, right? I can't keep doing the things that I'm doing the way that I'm doing them all, my whole life. And I think my purpose is to really leave an impact on people's lives. I don't think technology is where I'm going to end my journey. I think I still have a very long way to go, but through technology and the different ideas that I have for the future, I'd love to be able to change people's lives. And if I can, um, I'd like to add that recently I had a call with a family member who I've never spoken to in years. And this person happened to just tell me, Hey, you know, I, I looked at your story and from hearing from family members, and I, I really found it inspiring for me because I said to myself, if she can do it, I can do it. And that for me is brought me to tears, to be honest, because I said to myself, little did I know somebody that I don't even talk to has been looking at me as an inspiration to them. And 
who knows how many people I have come across or how many people I will come across that I will have that interaction with, or they'll know about me. And I want to be able to touch them, help them, inspire them, and really make an impact on the world. I think that's my ultimate purpose. Well, I'm, I'm really certain you will do. And it's lovely that we've got you on the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. It, Listen Notes have rated it in the top 1.5% of podcasts in the world. And there's about 2.7 million podcasts. Um, and it's going to go out to 155,000 people in 55 countries. So someone out there will be listening right now to this and they'll go, well, she's done it. I can do this. This, this encourages me that I can do this. You know, if it's going to be, it's up to me. I will do this. So, so well done for, for sharing your story and your wisdom and successes and failures. We didn't talk about when we covered a, a while ago, proudest moments. We didn't talk particularly about a darkest moment in your personal life or your work. What would you say would, would have been a darkest moment? And what did you learn about it? Yeah, I think that's a two-part question because professionally, I think the darkest moment for me was a turning point right before Black Dot where I was considering a business, the franchise that I mentioned, 7-Eleven. And I was supposed to go into business with someone else and we were going to be 50-50 partners. And I felt like I was bringing something to the table and they were bringing something to the table, but they kind of cheated me out of some money. And I felt broken at that time where we never ended up doing business, but I ended up taking a huge loss. And I said to myself, what am I going to do? I won't be able to do this by myself, but I had some really good people around me that really encouraged me and said, no, you have to do this. Now is your purpose to do this. You have to show that you can do this by yourself. I think um, from that, I found myself growing, but having to go through that, I think was a blessing in disguise, but it was a very tough time for me. Yeah. Uh, and I was listening and interviewing yesterday, Guy Hans, who uh, at one stage was valued at 60 million pounds. Um, Guy has had many successes and many setbacks, but he found that he learned the most from the things that didn't work out. Um, they really shaped his future success when he's had the hardest of times. And I think the 7-Eleven franchise experience that you had we can easily hang on to that, but I, half of it is to learn from it, but then let go. And that's quite hard because we get emotionally attached to something and an outcome and a sense of fairness. And this is not fair. And they didn't do as we agreed we were going to do. Uh, time and again, people will cheat you. You saw that as a criminal investigator for the US government. Um, and it's almost like learn from it, move on, um, get over it. Um, but it's quite hard. I, speaking personally, there's many things I feel aggrieved about where I wasn't treated well or someone cheated me or I got defrauded out of all my life savings and the small inheritance I had from my mother by a, a fraudster from Australia, uh, a woman yeah. by the name of Sasha Morris. And she and various people in Cyprus ripped me and about 30 other people off of something in the tune of a number of millions that they all made from us. Uh, and I felt very aggrieved about that hang on to be my life for about 10 years, but I've got to move on and I have moved on from it. But it was at the time, it's, it's very sticky and it, it's like Velcro. It's hard to, to separate yourself from it. Um, the next one around the Inspiring Leadership Compass is health question, HQ. Um, what's your top tip about mental health and physical health that's worked for you that you'd share with others? I am a huge uh, health fanatic. I'm a vegan. I work out about four to five times a week, an hour a day. 
I mean, I think some people would think that's not enough, but I, I think that like an hour straight of working out is it's a lot. I really put my body through a lot. And I think through that, I've gotten a lot of mental clarity. Uh, we don't realize, like you said, the darkest moments, the proudest moments, our childhood, you know, a lot of things that happened to us along the way, how deeply they affect us. Like you said, it took you 10 years to, to get off of that stickiness. I don't think people focus enough on mental health. And I think with me, what has worked is tr truly seeking help. I went to a therapist for two different phases in my life. One of the phases was when I got divorced. Um, I was married when I was 21. It was kind of like my family, my father specifically said he wanted me to get married. He wasn't, he was very traditional. He didn't want me dating around or doing anything of that sort. So he married me off uh, at a young age and I found myself getting divorced a few years later just for our differences. Nothing bad happened. We, we amicably came to uh, a decision that we didn't want to be together. But the turmoil that came afterwards from all the family, all the relatives, everybody judging me and not wanting to support my decision really put me in a dark place. I found myself having to go to therapy and it really helped me understand why I made the decision and why it was a good decision, believing in myself. And I think recently I found myself uh, wanting to, to focus on mental health, really getting clarity on life. And I think that's something that everybody should seek if they can or if they want to. I think it's so important, whatever it may be. I think you're spot on there. And they say our mental health is affected when the difference between what is actually how things are and how you want them to be, and the fact you can't separate the two, that you're, you're aggrieved by the fact it's not as you want it to be. It's as it is. This is wrong. It should be. Now, part of that drives us to try and change the situation, rectify things. But the other part is it can badly affect our health. And also, as you say, and I am now very happily married to Lee, my wife, we've been married some six and a half years, and I've really found myself, I'm blissfully happy, but I was married for 23 years and had to get divorced. I, I needed to get out of it. It was not healthy for me. But I know so many people judge me, people who haven't lived my life. They weren't in the marriage with me. They didn't know what it was, but they're very quick to judge everybody else. But I haven't yet met the perfect couple or the perfect person. And when you really start to get to know people, you go, this is rather hypocritical. You're judging me. But what about your situation? And, and so I think I've learned the hard way not to judge others. But people are very quick, particularly when relationships break down. They're very quick to judge. And um, I wish people wouldn't. And I think it's, it's a lifetime journey, isn't it? Two things, non-judgment, non-attachment. That, that we're not so attached to a certain outcome or, or a situation, we just let it go. Um, thank you for sharing that. That was, that was clearly a, a tough one. Um, but I do think the, what you've talked about on mental and physical health, I'm really interested about the circadian code and also about time-restricted eating and uh, intermittent fasting, some call it, and the whole microbiome. There's a very good book called 10% Human in which 90% of your body is microbes. It's not you. It's not even your DNA. It's some, something else that's, that's occupying you, but you've got to feed it and look after it. And um, I think that's really interesting. And, and I, like you, uh, was vegan for a year. I decided not to stay vegan, a personal choice, but it, it was interesting to have tried it for a year. Uh, and, and it did help my health and my well-being uh, a lot at the time. EQ is next, emotional and social intelligence. Uh, Amadeep, I, I sense you have a good level of uh, EQ. How have you 
developed that? And, and what is, would you say, is one of the, the top tips you'd give about being able to connect with others and understand where they're coming from? I think that's a lifelong journey. If you think about from childhood playing in the sandbox to, to being in college and to, to work relationships that you form. Um, I've learned through all my relationships, different people, different goals, different, you just learn from them, right? Everybody's different. And I think um, what I find that connects is listening. I think people don't tend to listen. It's always about me, what I'm doing, what I have to say. I think listening to people and respecting them is huge because you might not necessarily believe in the same thing somebody's believing or uh, agree with them, but being able to constructively have a conversation, even through your disagreements, is huge. Yeah, it's, it's a great skill to really listen and not just say, I hear what you say, which is actually quite disrespectful. It means you have no intention to, to, to listen to what they say. I'm hearing it and listening. Um, it, it, again, it's, for me, it's been, as I approach 60 in a couple of months time, it's always work in progress really listening so people feel truly present and i think the two people made a profound impact on me from in each case i probably had about two minutes with each of them one was her majesty queen elizabeth uh the second who i met when i got my mbe and the other one was princess diana who i met on one of her visits to one of the regiments and and both of them were really present really present so i felt like i was the only person that they were interested in the Queen happened to know about what I'd done to get the award. She had no notes. She had no earpiece. She had no one whispering in her ear. She'd actually learned. She'd learned it. And, and there were, I don't know, 40 other people getting awards and some much, most of them much more important than me being knighted and all sorts. But she knew that. And she made me feel really special. I can to this day remember the power of that presence. And Diana, the same. She had a, a charisma, which was based on really listening to people. And uh, so, yeah, what you say matters massively now you talked about um being born in india and coming to america and uh fitting into different cultures I, i'd be interested in your take on what i call cq cultural intelligence quotient diversity equality inclusion what's your top tip on this i struggled throughout my childhood to my teenage years with fitting in i think also just not between society here but with my parents. I think their views on how I should be was very traditional back home. And then the views of the kids here was, you need to kind of fit in where the same clothes as us or, you know, the struggle was either financially where I couldn't wear the same clothes or where the to, to, to do the same things that these kids were doing, or culturally where kids were expected, kids had cell phones, let's say beepers, at least at that time, they had time with their friends, you go hang out, my parents didn't let me do any of that. And I think um, now, looking back, I, I wish I had more assimilation, a little bit more um, conversation about how to fit in. I think that's super important because when you're coming from two different cultures, I wish there was more knowledge at that time, at least, about how to fit in. I think it's more easier now, technology or just information is more available. I think at that time, when early 2000 or like late 1990s, I think it wasn't that that much available to us, at least not to me. Yeah, I, I think it's so important, the whole idea of assimilation. And we have here in the UK where I am, uh, lots of people coming from different parts of the world, coming across, risking it across the channel and landing. They may have been from Somalia or Afghanistan or economic migrants or, or um, 
from, from persecution. And it's very hard for them to assimilate. They're often dropped into a community somewhere around the country. And more needs to be done to help them understand about how to fit in the culture and, and the differences between their own values and the values that are held here. And how do you help them? So thank you for, for sharing that firsthand, um, what happened for you. The next one is RQ, resilience quotient, resilience against adversity. What's your top tip about being resilient and, and coping with challenges and difficulties and setbacks? I think what's helped me is just really believing in myself. I found myself at some point in my life reaching out to others or trying to find that confidence from people, getting that confirmation that I'm relevant or things of that nature. I think what happened after my divorce was I really spent a lot of time by myself over the last seven, eight years now. And I found that I found my inner voice. I found the struggles, tying that into the mental health and therapy, really put everything together and made sense of what was happening and how do I get out of the situations? Because life is life, right? Things are going to happen. You can't avoid them. Resilience isn't about how do you avoid situations. It's about being more aware about how to prevent them or how to handle them if they were to come your way. Yeah, I think let's stay with this one for a bit. It's a very interesting one. You know, um, often when we have children and my, my children are 26, 27, 28 and 29, and they've all got partners and some uh, one of the two of them, uh, um, one's just got married and another one's just had their first child and has got the second child on the way and they're going to get married later next year. But you want to look after your children but you can't surround them in cotton wool and stop life happening to them. They're going to have things go wrong for them, but it's not the fact that they have a problem. It's how they handle it that marks out the successful from the very average and not to rail against God, the world, the universe. Why me? This is not fair, but go, okay, this has happened. What am I going to do about it? What have I learned? What am I going to do differently? And time and again, I wish I'd had that bit of guidance early on. You can very easily feel it's very unfair and why me and this is not right. But, but the healthiest people, back to the mental health that you were talking about, go, okay, this is what's happened. What have I learned from it? And often we're left with a lot of scars when things haven't worked out, that it was completely my fault or it's, it's about me not being a good person or whatever it is. Now, you know, it takes two to tango and, in any situation where a relationship hasn't worked out, both people uh, have something to learn. My, my ex-wife and I both have something to learn and both contributed to the fact that in the end it didn't work out. But it doesn't make her a bad person, doesn't make me a bad person. And, you know, she's now very happy and very successful. And, and I, I've got my own life as well. And, and I think people can very easily look to blame others rather than learn and then move on. What's your thoughts? I agree. I think there's something called the victim mentality. Um, it's easier, I think, to deal with than um, really working on yourself. I think just to say that this has happened to me, it gives you a little bit more comfort. It gives you a connection. It gives you sympathy of others if you were to seek that, right? If you were to have that type of mentality, it's harder to say, you know what? It happened. Let me work on it. Because saying that is not as easy as doing it. It's a lot more that goes into it. And I think 
that part is super important, but also just getting, just being aware, self-aware is like the, my motto, right? Being very self-aware in, in every aspect of life. And I think that's important. Yeah, I think so good a point you make about the victim. I, I do want leaders to be more appropriately vulnerable and only the strong can actually be vulnerable. But there's a fine line between being vulnerable and sharing when you made mistakes or you got things wrong or some tough times that you learned from that you weren't just like this swan gliding along the top of the lake effortless, just everything seems to go right for you. But actually, there's a lot of paddling going on underneath the surface and you've had some some pretty bad moments. But then it's a fine line where you, you, you avoid going into the victim. Poor me. And here's a long catalog of everything that's gone wrong in my life so that you'll feel sorry for me and support me. It's, it's, it's a fine line, but I, it's something to always be worked on. But the, the victim rescuer persecutor is what they call the drama triangle, that two people get together. One of them might take the position of a victim. One then wants to rescue. And at the end, there's the twist in the tail where one or other adopts the persecutor. Like the victim goes, well, I've told you all my problems and you're not helping me. Or the persecutor goes, for God's sake, get on with it, sort your life out. Um, but, but you're left feeling bad. It's called the drama triangle and it's a game. And so I think an appropriate response of two adults is like your response for your life. What are you going to do about it? You know, I can support you in some ways, but ultimately it's up to you. And I think taking personal ownership is really important. And I think it's very easy in society at the moment. A lot of people go, well, I have all my, I have all my rights and, and, and I'm entitled to this and I, I want that and I want this. And why isn't the government doing this for me? Yeah, okay, what are you doing to help yourself? What are you doing to take personal responsibility and accountability? I think that's very important. Uh, thank you for that. And then the, the next one, uh, the last but one of the, uh, the inspiring leadership uh, points that we, we talk about, what makes high performers, is brand quotient, brand reputation, image, and impact. So what do people say about you, Amadi, when you're not in the room? And how do you find that out? Because what they say to your face and what they say to others about you, or help on social media, or maybe trolls, that's even more dangerous. But what have you done by way of coaching or any 360 feedback to learn how others experience you and maybe even as a speaker or something, or when you were doing the TV, how have you learned from feedback from others to improve what you're doing? I haven't perfected being a psychic as much as I wish I could. So what I tend to do is just ask questions. Um, most people don't want to hear criticism. I think what I do is go straight to the source and say, hey, what do you think about me? Am I coming off as a certain type of person? What is your feedback? What do you have to say? How can I improve? And I think what a lot of people that know me will say is that I don't know what they're saying behind my back, but at least to me, when I do ask those questions, when I do have the differences or when I do have just those dialogues, they'll say that I'm a listener and I really do work on myself. So in many instances, I'll have conversation with family and friends or even people that I work with and they'll tell me, hey, such and such. And they'll notice that after some time, I do work on those, those things that we talked about, because it goes back to, again, self-reflection. Do you really believe that this is something that you're taking part in? And if you are, we all, um, you know, aren't perfect and we work on ourselves. And I think that's part of being a leader, being able to listen, being able to work on yourself and being able to really show that 
you can be that because that's inspiring to people, right? Like, oh, I told you this and you actually, you actually did it. You did care to, to change yourself. And I think that's important, really understanding what the other person is saying and asking those questions. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, earlier this week, I was interviewing another uh, senior leader, very successful leader. And again, she'd come from India. And uh, in this case, she was in the UK rather than the USA. Um, but, but she was giving feedback by way of 360. And she was saying that it, it is uh, unusual for people to seek out 360 from a coach an independent person who who gets unattributable comments, which they'll tell a third person, but they won't tell the person direct. And I often ask them, have you said this to them? They go, no, no, I, I, I couldn't say that to them. Well, actually, it would really help them if you found a way of doing that. Um, so I think as humans, we tend to have this triangle between, you know, you say something to somebody else about the third party, but you won't, and, or even to the third party about the other person but you won't say it to them. I don't know what it is that we, we fear we might offend them, but yet we say it to somebody else and it gets back to them. And actually it, it offends them even more. The fact that back to your honesty, transparency and integrity, your three values, that, that you weren't living by that, not you personally, but the other person. And that probably offends them more. Any thoughts you have? Absolutely. I think um, a lot of people can relate to this personally and professionally we tend to hold back out of fear of whatever our fear may be. And one thing that a lot of people that know me will say is that I go direct to the source. Hey, I'd like to talk. Can we please talk about this? This is how this made me feel. It's not more of like an attack. I think, like you said, it's very important on really recognizing how you del deliver your message. And I think for me, it's more about this is how it made me feel. And I just wanted you to know. And it's not, I need you to do this to fix it. It's on, their, it's on their table now. The ball's in their court. What do they want to do with it? But I, I as a person, recognize that I need to be vocal <clears throat> when it comes to my interactions with other people, as well as just if I need to help somebody and give them advice, kind of give a gentle suggestion like, hey, I was thinking about this. This is what I think you should, might want to consider. I think, again, it's about delivery and honesty. You have to be honest with the people around you. What are you doing if you're not being honest? I, what I kind of relationships are you forming? I think that's what, you know, I, I think a lot of the times. Yeah. And I, I think you're so right. I think many of the relationships people form are, are built on sand. They're utterly dishonest relationships. They don't say to the person how they really feel or think. And people can tell. We talk about head, heart, gut and wallet. There's the things you should check. You, you have 89 billion neurons in here. You can pick up um, the logic or not of what them says, the heart, do, do they make your heart sing? And the gut, what does your gut instinct tell you? That the heart's got 40,000 neurons around it and the gut, 100 million. So there's lots of cues being sent to you all the time. And you can tell if someone's inauthentic with you or they're not being transparent. You, just, you don't quite know what's going on, but you know uh, something's odd. I remember there was a chap who ripped me off for a lot of money when I was defrauded. Uh, not only was this lady Sasha Morris one, but there was this guy, Silver Carmichael. And he, I, I was trying to close the deal with him and something was telling me it was not right. I mean, the guy was a complete fraud. So he'd been to jail for property fraud. And my other friend, Craig Chislett, knew that he'd been to jail, but didn't tell me. He was supposed to be my friend and he knew this person had been to jail, but he didn't tell me. And he was working with this guy to supposedly help me. And, and yet 
my gut was telling me something was not right, but I couldn't work out what it was. I just thought it was me. And so I, I think you've touched on a, a really important thing. And there's a whole lot of work about nonviolent communication, uh, NVC, uh, where people talk about this is the fact, this is how I feel, this is the consequence, and this is my request. And people forget what you say, they forget what you do, but they never forget how you make them feel. So I think, I think what you said there, you know, how do I feel? Telling them how you feel, I think is really important. And making a request. They don't have to follow it, but they're quite clear about the consequences if they don't. What's your thoughts? I agree. I think uh, making the request is important part of it as well, because it's, it's kind of the bridge between how are we going to move forward? And if the other person does not want to, let's say, give consideration to your request, it really tells you what place you take in their life and what you need to do. I think the, that that's like a major turning point in those relationships where you have to make that decision. And to be honest, it's very hard for some people. You'll notice people just go back to certain relationships, regardless of how toxic they may be or maybe hurtful they may be, just because they don't know how they work too much on changing people and not really understanding how that person may be affecting them. Yeah. Well, uh, is again, it was a conversation I was having uh, with someone the other day and they, they said they'd worked with this person for a number of years, but the person kept shouting and screaming at them and making them feel really awful. And I said, so why are you choosing still to work? With? Oh, they're, they're really useful. I said, but this is an abusive relationship. You shouldn't still be in this. Oh no, no. I, I always want them around. But yet they make you cry and they make you feel bad and they they lose it completely and shout at you. Yeah, I know they do. But it's almost like the, the abused husband or wife who stays in a relationship which is not healthy for them. And, and I, I, I would ask people who are listening right now who are in a relationship that is abusive and they are left feeling gaslighted or left feeling less or awful all the time. It's a repeat pattern. Stop it. You have choice. You're, you're volunteers. A bit like me being in the army for 20 years. As my old sergeant major would say, if you can't take a joke, sir, you shouldn't have joined. You're a volunteer. You don't like it? Leave. Don't stay. But if, if you're going to be in it, be in it. But if you don't want to be in it, you have choice. And I think people forget they have choice, don't you think? I agree. I totally agree. I think it does kind of fall into that victim mentality in some sense where people just feel like I don't have a choice I, I need this person like you said or this is my family I've heard that one a lot that this is a person that I love this is my mom or my dad or my sibling I don't want to I can't I can't get away from them it's like you can set boundaries I think even in relationships that you can't get away from right because I'm sure a lot of people are thinking well what about when it comes to family even when it comes to family, I think if you set healthy boundaries and really understand where you want to be in that relationship, you set that, right? You set, okay, I'm not going to accept this type of abusive behavior. What are you going to do to make sure you get, stop that? Will you stop communication? Will you stop seeing this person? What are the steps that you're going to take? And it does really fall back on you. You have to take accountability for your own self because otherwise you'll fall into, again, the victim mentality. I, I think that's so profound. And in life, death is a certainty. <coughs> but at the beginning of your life, you have no choice over where in the world you're born, into what level of poverty or wealth, and to which parents. I mean, the, the chances of you being born to those two people are trillion to one chance, but you are. That's where you begin. You have no choice over that. 
what you have choice over is how you handle the situation that life has given you. And it's not the fact that you have a problem, it's how you handle it. But equally, I've known people who've been with a father or a mother who is abusive or even white collar psychopaths. And, and in some cases, eventually, one case of a guy I know, he just chooses not to speak or meet with his mother again because she's a psychopath. And she always just ran him down and made him feel awful. So he's a grown man now. He just doesn't meet with her. And uh, other people keep going back into, oh, well, it's my father or my mother. And I must have But if they are really horrible, evil people, don't spend time there. As you say, you've got to set boundaries or agree the way in which you are going to be with someone else because we have so little time. And time is the one thing that, that you won't get back. And so who you spend your time with and how you choose to allocate your time. It's not about time management, it's about time allocation. And who you'll spend it with, uh, you are the average of the six people you spend the most time with. So spend your time with people who add love, life and happiness to you. What do you think? I totally agree. I think I've uh, gotten to that part of my life journey right now where I've always said to myself that time is very important, but where are we spending our time? Like you said, and I think with me, I've learned that I was spending too much time, maybe fixing relationships or worrying about what people had to say about me, or I'm really working on things or because of different reasons, financial or other, um, that I'm working in places that maybe that don't give me the happiness. And I've started to tell myself, I need to start making those changes. You did ask me in the beginning, if I'm in New York, that's because the last time we spoke, I was in Georgia and now I plan on moving to Los Angeles. Wow. Um, yeah. So I think that's one of the major changes that I'm making. I think my whole family's here and the whole time I thought to myself, I can't leave them. What am I going to do by myself out there? I think now I'm just like, no, I have such a short time to live. I'm only going to be young for so, so long. I need to, I need to do what I want to do. And I think Los Angeles is calling out for me, but that's just an example to show that, mm -hmm. you know, you need to really consider what you want to do and just go for it. Yep. Yeah. And you're so right. We have such a short time to live. And, um, Sadly, recently, my brother David, who's uh, would have just been 64 on the 19th of November, he died of cancer after just a mere 10 weeks from diagnosis. And it really brought home to me, I'm only three years younger than him, that I don't know when my number's up. And he didn't know when it was going to be up. He had lots of plans, didn't kind of work out. So let's not waste our time on things that are really quite pointless. We have nothing, we cannot control them. So, so don't stress, you know, don't sweat the small stuff, focus on what really matters. And, and that is good, healthy relationships, doing what you know that you can, where you can make a difference and, and you find things fulfilling and worthwhile and purposeful and having meaning, uh, which leads me on nicely to the last of the uh, compass points of inspiring leadership, which what makes high performing people is LQ legacy quotient. You know, what would you like your legacy to be in the work you do in the world and in the way you leave relationships? How would you like to be remembered? I'd like to be remembered as a innovator, hmm. someone who's thought about things that wanted to do things, regardless of where they end up, uh, thought about things in a bigger scope and how it would affect humanity in, as a whole. I think personally, I want to be remembered as somebody who was very sympathetic, empathetic, and 
really there for you, right? It doesn't only mean family, friends, but even if we talked about it earlier, if I can impact somebody's life from a distance just by talking or them knowing about my story, I really want to do that. I think that's super important to me. Um, I'm a huge animal lover. Uh, I have two dogs, Stormy and Smokey. I one day plan on having a nonprofit that I'd like to open up for um, for dogs or animals in general that are displaced and need a proper home. I hope to be able to successfully do that. And who knows what else is out there for me, right? I think we think what we want to do and then there's bigger plans. And I think I would love to be able to expand on that and to be able to, to help in a greater way. But that would be my legacy, just being yeah. able to give back. Yeah, it's lovely you talk about dogs just behind me. For those watching the video, you can see Archie over there snuggled up on the sofa, our little Cocker Spaniel, who runs like a mad thing, ch chasing a ball and, and loves us dearly. He's like an extra child. So I do understand your your love of, of animals. And, and I think, you know, what it was um, Maslow, um, Abraham Maslow said, what, what one must be or what one can be, one must be, I think is what he said, what you can be. You must be so so there is a calling out there for you Amadeep. you've got to work out what it is and it was mark twain who said the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you found out why in my case i found out why when i met a number of the people who knew my father who was killed flying and one of them says you have a choice you can be a victim and we talked about victimhood before or you can choose to make your father's death and your mother's death separate events so they were the reason why you're trying to find inspiring men and women like you find your stories pass it on to others and coach people to be more inspiring leaders teams and individuals so it, it is important talking of teams um my almost my penultimate question a couple of other questions but you've worked with a number of different organizations whether it be government or some different businesses you've had and you've had different teams. Sometimes it's been you on your own, but sometimes it's been with other people like the 7-Eleven experience. What have you done to recognize when you have got someone who's toxic, like you had in the 7-Eleven situation, or, or in a team who's badly affected the team? And how have you turned it around to get a better situation? Communication. I think that's the first um, step. Communicating, we discussed this earlier as well, just really having that open, honest conversation about what's happening and how request the person to, 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 to consider the changes that need to be made in order to, for the team to be successful. And I think that most of the time that does work because nobody wants to really look bad. And most people do reflect on whatever type of criticism or whatever type of feedback they get. And the ones that don't, unfortunately, we do have to, um, take them out of the situation because we don't want to affect the entire team morale. That's what would happen if we, if we didn't. So I think one of the tips as a leader myself, I, I give is that when you do see those things, make sure it's not affecting the other people and try to rectify the situation as soon as possible. Yeah. I, I think it's so true. And quite often, literally the bad apple that's helping the whole of the fruit basket go rotten. Uh, you have to take it out. Just like a, if you leave a banana with other fruit, it makes all the other fruit ripen very quickly because the gases that come off from the banana skin. And I think in our case, we have to take out the metaphorical banana before it turns the whole team and makes it go off. Um, and often 
just that action of giving a person a chance, but then if they're not going to change their attitude, they're out and you help them find their happiness elsewhere. You and I then talked about favorite books on leadership. And we talked about the fact that I'm dyslexic and you're not sure whether you are, but you certainly find it more challenging to read, but you had a, a love of listening to some audiobooks and, and YouTube. Do you want to talk about what you've gained from those two mediums about leadership? Yeah, I think I've loved to uh, your podcast, your series. I loved listening to the previous CEOs and leaders that have come on. That's been something that I found really inspiring. I have a tendency to watch YouTube videos of other uh, tech leaders or just leaders that have made an impact on this world. And I think that there's always something to learn, either personally or professionally, there's always a takeaway. And I think that I've found uh, interest in, in that. I'm not really big on reading books, but I think I would like to get into it at some point. But for now, the podcast is something that I'm really enjoying. Good. Well, thank, thank you. For that, <laughs> so we're now at the, the final bit. And when we've done the two minute top tip in a moment after you've introduced yourself, then we'll finish recording. We can chat a bit more. But Amadi, would you please introduce yourself again, what you do and give us your two minute top leadership tip? Hi, my name is Amandeep Kaur. I'm the CEO and founder of Black Dot, a social media mobile application. The tip that I'd like to give today is to really believe in yourself, really work on yourself, mind, body, and soul. And regardless of what comes your way, regardless of what people say, as long as you believe in yourself, you can attain any goal that comes into your mind. Be, be prepared for feedback, but also just believe in yourself, regardless of what you hear. Great tip. Thank you very much indeed, Amadeep. It's wonderful having you on the series and I wish you every success with Black Dot and thank you for sharing your wisdom and experience today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great pleasure of mine and uh, appreciate all the well wishes. Thank you. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.